My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, hello, and welcome to the post-credit pod. Hope everyone is having a great week. We are, because not only did we run a Bob Odenkirk interview earlier this week for his upcoming action film, Nobody, but we also today have an exclusive interview with Guy Pierce, who... Eric, I didn't even realize until you started doing your great research, he's popped up in a lot of franchises. Like, he's an excellent actor outside, just in, in normal kind of everyday adult dramas. But, man, he's, he's got some series under his belt. That's sort of something I told him is that when I was, when I prepped to talk to him, one of the things that I was most blown away with was how there's no one Guy Pierce role. This guy has popped up in so many different sorts of films, sorts of genres, sorts of roles characters looks i mean dude in lawless he's like an animal like he's like (laughs) he's like from another earth it's unbelievable this guy and the fact that he's australian like i vaguely knew that but i didn't actually like i just i saw your tweet about it and i wanted to laugh because i knew he was australian but he's such a versatile eclectic chameleon that you know he's all over the place the name guy pierce just sounds so british so i just assumed he's british i also learned this week tony colette too yeah come Australian. on that was, that was a known one since these Aussies the can act their fucking balls off yeah dude, um, they're great point Heath being, Ledger, he Chris was, Hemsworth Margot Robbie I mean Australia's a great talent pool yeah for sure so point being is he was super cool he seemed like he had a good time so I'm really hyped for y'all to check that out his new film I mean I'm a wimp when it comes to scary movies so Me I'm too. not I'm not perhaps the best judge of if they're good or not I, I thought it was pretty good. I was legitimately scared at some points. Guy what was Pierce your comparison? A, you made a huh? great, on, on Twitter, you made a great comparison of what this movie is. So people kind of have expectations. It's sort of exorcism training day. Like the construct is your, it, it is the rookie on his first day of the job with like a world weary vet, except instead of being an LA cop, they are <laughs> intense. Priest um, exorcists? exorcists who um who and guy P- so it takes place in dallas or no it takes place in new orleans they shot in dallas guy pierce is doing like a boston voice just another <laughs> in the long line of guy pierce's voices so i asked him about that he explains why he made that choice i enjoyed it if you're a horror guy i would check that out it's called the seventh day and so today you are going to be hearing this on friday march 26th it comes out on demand and in theaters today Sounds pretty cool. Like Exorcist meets Training Day. Like, okay, you've piqued my interest. Yeah, right? That is how I would have pitched the film if it was my film. So there you go. All right. So tune in for that. For now, let's get to the big news and trending kind of topics of the week. Marvel and Disney in general have thrown a whole wrench into the, the scheduling of their big blockbusters, understandably so, since we're still in the pandemic. Uh, most notably, Black Widow. It moves from May 7th, exclusive theatrical to July 9th hybrid release. So it's going to release in all theaters that are open and on Disney Plus Premier Access, which means it's $29.99 for existing Disney Plus subscribers. Eric, I I think this was something that most people have expected the longer the pandemic goes on, strictly because the MCU's greatest strength is its interconnected, interwoven plot lines that feed into one another in an episodic fashion. 
has now been leveraged and exposed as their greatest weakness in the pandemic, in which well, you start a well, you, you well, start a backlog of projects, you start muffing up the whole entire MCU timeline, which is why they would prefer Black Widow only appear in theaters. But they knew, for the sake of the rest of their shows and movies, they couldn't delay it any longer. So they're they're hedging their bets and splitting the difference. Let me just sort of rebuff what you just said before we dive into the news itself. You're 100% correct, right? It's a weakness, but can you hold them accountable for not accounting for a pandemic? Oh, oh no, no. I, I'm not saying it as a criticism. I'm so, just saying it's so, been exposed. Yeah, but I think when, you, when you're applying such a unique historic circumstance to it, I'm not sure exposed is the right word. You know, I it's sort of it not to, I mean, not to compare what Thanos did to <laughs> what's going on in, in real life, but that would be like saying to humans, oh, you know, you got exposed. You weren't prepared for fucking... Thanos to show up and snap away half your planet. I mean, how are we even, how is that even supposed to be on our radar? So it's not, I'm not holding it against them, but it's the same thing like with their, their theme parks. Disney uh, was proven to be more vulnerable than your average everyday media entertainment company because they had a brick and mortar operation that accounts for so much of their revenue. Yeah, Similarly, true. the thing that makes MCU great is now the thing that was hamstringing them in a pandemic. Of course they shouldn't expect Something so like let there. me so ask you this. Do you these. think that this was always the plan for Black Widow, that they were waiting until the vaccine was legitimately rolled out? And like, they made this choice for the sake of my hypothetical. Let's say they, they made this choice last June, right? They're like, all right, we don't know when it's going to be, but we're just going to keep delaying it, delaying it, delaying it until there's a clear light at the end of the tunnel. And then when we do, we're going to go hybrid. Or do you think that their plans have been fluid this their, entire time? Their plans time? have been fluid. I can guarantee you that they did not want to release Black Widow on Disney Plus at all. I can guarantee you that. And I think the fact that they keep pushing Shang-Chi and Eternals and aren't mentioning them proves also that they have no desire to do anything Disney Plus with them well, as what well. I, what I find fascinating about this is, um, you know, my mom and dad just got their vaccines this week they've been oh, waiting and waiting go, italiano fam i'm hyped i'm hyped i put out a tweet i'm gonna be showing up to their crib like kramer just busting on in there um, <laughs> what's going on you guys what's for dinner dinner <laughs> um so uh because my mom and dad and i my mom and dad live in the same town as me um city in fact point being is that by july 9th there's a very real chance that you and i are vaxxed up as well so why wouldn't you go to theaters? Uh, UK like, shutting down again, Italy shutting down again, China and Japan still going strong, but a lot of these European markets are being hit. And surprisingly, you know, because we were the ones holding up the international market for the last year, and now it's kind of flipped a little bit because, of course, the America was like, hey, we'll outbid everyone for all the vaccines. So yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, kind yeah. of why they're, they're now doing it in this hybrid way. Yeah, I just think it's a smart choice for them. It gives people it, it gives people a choice. And that's important, right? It, oh, yeah. Through hook or through crook, everybody who wants to is going to be able to engage in the conversation on that first day. And that, to me, is the most important thing. The fact that they've been waiting for theaters specifically, I have said this a few times, I thought that because Black Widow was set in the past, it was the perfect one to just roll out and stream. While I am not surprised that they have made this choice. I am surprised that it took this long. Question for you before we move on to the other Disney stuff. Will you be seeing it in theaters or will you watch it at home on Disney Plus? July I mean, 9th. Look, dude, so today right now is is March 25th, right? We're talking three plus months from now. Uh, 
April, May, June, July. So that's a long time. A lot is going to change from now and then. The number one thing, the general A, it'll be warm out. So if that's based on how things went last summer, including the vaccine, cases should be way down. I fucking went to see Tenet last summer (laughs) with no vaccine because I because of fucking Nolan, that cocksucker who I I asked. Sorry, not cocksucker. That's way too intense. But I did ask, <laughs> dude. I I tweeted that my beef with Tenet is becoming a bit that I've lost control of. And that's it is true. the Jared Leto of the Christopher Nolan jokes. So point being is, and the thing is, you know, and I'm sure you learned this when you interview someone, you're making a calculation of what you can ask and not ask, and what you can say and not say, and what you can joke and not joke about while you talk to them. So during my first half of my chat with Guy Pierce, I'm like, all right, I could definitely ask him my joke about a memento no longer being <laughs> Nolan's most confusing. Did that one. And he and he had a great answer. Because Zoom, when they record it, it doesn't. So I've got to, I, like I could see both of us right now on Zoom's end. It does like speaker view. So you could only see the person who speaks. So there's no tape of his face when I asked that, but he fucking lost it. Uh, I forget the point of that tangent, but Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. So because Black Widow is now moving to July 9th, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is moving to September 3rd. Eternals is keeping its November 5th release date. And frankly, I just want to point this out. Eternals was supposed to come out before Shang-Chi. It finished filming last February, not February 21, February 2020. And I understand that they flip-flopped it for Shang-Chi to come out first, but the fact that we haven't gotten a still or a trailer or anything from either, especially Eternals, it just pisses me off because I, I, that's my number one most anticipated movie. I'm very curious if they're waiting to roll out the Eternals marketing. And they are, if Chloe's out, because they're 100%. waiting to see if they could call Zhao Academy Award winner. Which, that, which, that, that, that is what they're waiting for. That's what they're going to do. But I don't care because it's been brilliant move. Yeah, but not. Year. But you got to get. Not only is this not a commonly known name, like, they, like yes, they proved that they could do it. This is sort of a Guardians s type, yeah, venture for them, but way more heady. The trailer is going to be way less like rollicking and jokey and pop musicy than Guardians was. So it's less of a widespread hook. And I would say to the average consumer, especially of the MCU, Chloe Zhao isn't quite. No, a, I, I uh, agree completely. Yeah. And this is a great strategy for them. But it doesn't matter because me personally, Brandon Katz, Uber nerd, has been waiting for the second they announced Eternals as my number one most anticipated MCU flick. And the fact that it has been completed filming 100% for 14 friggin' months, I am just like aching for it brandon cat i don't care about the casual consumer i am just fucking livid eric yeah no that's fair you and i right and i dig it <laughs> and, and and you've you've gotten me on board as well we know how dope it's gonna be yeah. you know what i mean so that's why it's like i understand why they're waiting to to be able to draw in as if they could slap sense. From best picture, best director, Chloe's out. It's like, dude, that's fucking game over. Game over. Yeah. Because I think that that would perhaps be the first time that they've ever had a best That's a great best question. Picture, I, I, best, I believe so. Best director. Yeah, I don't think. So, I mean, I that is a huge get for them. And I could only imagine that, that they would want her back for Eternals 2 or some shit. So, 
more attractive. All good things. Patience is key. The light at the end of the tunnel is here. We've waited for what feels like 30 years at this point. I could wait <laughs> two more months. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Cruella is now May 28th. It's going to be a hybrid release. So Disney Plus Premiere Access, which means you got to pay 30 bucks and in theaters. Pixar's Luca, which you and I have been pretty excited for, has we now called been- called this one too. Yeah, we've been, it's now been moved exclusively to Disney Plus for free. So just like Soul was available to watch for everyone who subscribed to Disney Plus on Christmas, same thing for Luca on June 18th. Uh, the Rock's Jungle Cruise still in theaters July 30th, uh, 2021. This is something that's since dating back to last year, our boys, the Diz Insider, have said they've heard really good things about it. Like everyone internally is apparently very hyped about it at Disney. Emily Blunt and The Rock is as charismatic of a twosome. And especially in terms of like the action family comedy genre that you could really ask for. So I have no doubt that this is going to be Probably a three-film franchise success yeah. type deal. It's going to be good. And then uh, Ryan Reynolds' Free Guy now debuts in theaters on August 13th. This has been delayed about seven times. And Ryan Reynolds and the marketing team at uh, 20th Century Studios have been so good about keeping up with the ridiculous chaos of these release date changes and have released such funny videos each time to acknowledge, like, Guys, we don't know, man. This is some crazy shit. Yeah. Like, just come see our movie. And like, just for the marketing, I might see it, even even regardless of the actual movie itself. I mean, I think it looks good. So, and he's always watchable. At he's least. definitely always watchable. So, yeah. Uh, and then some other tidbits. What if the animated kind of Elseworld? Now, see, this is direct from Disney's press release, and so right. this. I mean, I'm, I'm not. This is clearly not firm, but I think this is sort of a hint based on when they've dropped shows before. They said, what if is going to debut, quote, this summer? I don't know, perhaps August, July. Yeah, and then Miss Marvel. June, what? Loki drops in June, I think. Uh -huh, so it makes sense uh -huh. to be somewhere around there. And then Miss Marvel will debut this fall. So perhaps October, since she's a young kid, uh, Halloween type vibes, I could see cool. maybe. And that, that'll be like right next to uh, Hawkeye too. So, you know, and they're setting up the young Avengers clearly with yeah. all these young characters. So, yeah. you know, some some frustrating schedule changes, but all good. But I think things. this is it. I think yeah. this is it. Agreed. These are the last ones. And that to me is the story here, right? That's this, the big felt win. this felt definitive. They were like, not only we're, we're just not going to parcel and piece one film here and one film here. Here is our plan for the next eight months. And that yep. to me is a huge win. And I think, like you said, this is probably the last of the, the go-around, the merry-go-round. Yep. Yep. All right, staying with uh, comic books, Warner Media has officially kind of killed hopes for the Iyer cut, the, the David Iyer cut of Suicide Squad and the Restore the Snyderverse campaign. Uh, David Iyer on Twitter, you know, responded when, I believe it was Ann Sarnoff, who is the CEO of, of Warner Brothers, said that there are no plans for, you know, Iyer's cut of Suicide Squad. And he had a funny tweet, which was just like, why not sad emoji you know he's been pushing this ever since they greenlit the snyder cut last spring and as is his right and as would i right he's been pushing for this he's been responding and engaging with fans which i think is great he has been fighting for his vision of the film which i also think is great but i think what ayer doesn't have that snyder did was that a snyder had a proven track record whether you thought it was good or bad of dceu product people knew that what what they expected to get and then didn't get that and that's why they were mad also he has the benefit of pinning the blame on joss whedon 
He shot new scenes. He added new lines. Ayer is only blaming the Warner Brothers editing team. Like, as far as I know, everything that was shot was his, or at least most of it was. Certainly, it wasn't Frankenstein to the extent that Justice League was. So I don't think his footing is nearly as solid. I don't think the characters are nearly as iconic enough to warrant such a massive undertaking. Warner Bros. said they spent 75 mil, but you think it's more than that, right? So I doubt they're going to do that again. And again, I ask... Who came up with the damage tattoo? <laughs> if it was Ayer, then he has forfeited all director's cut rights. That means he was he was off the mark from the first released image. So, and that put a bad taste in my mouth then. There was nothing, there was no Man of Steel, which I beloved to allow me to give him the benefit of the doubt. Now, is this partially my Leto bit bleeding in? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Of course. Erroneous. Erroneous on both accounts. Erroneous on all counts. But my points remain valid all all the same, I think. Where do you stand here? So I, I get what you're saying. I would say, A. Would I watch it? Of course I would. But am I knocking on doors for it? No. I would say, A, studio meddling in the editing room is infamous. Dating back decades. They can change an entire film. Doesn't matter if there's zero new footage. They can change an entire film and just completely rip its guts out. So. I do think very much so from what we heard and what I've heard, you know, behind the scenes as well, that they transformed this movie into something that it wasn't. I would say B, the first trailer for Suicide Squad, the Comic-Con trailer, which was dark and, and, and I very- I just rewatched and, it this week. And, and very tonally resonant, I think, was fantastic. It was before they kind of, Warner Brothers turned it into this, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody light show of quips. I think that trailer was fantastic. I remember when that dropped, I was really excited. And I would say, see, as much as I don't like, you know, Jared Leto's portrayal of the Joker, I have always maintained that, like, had we seen more than about, like, two and a half minutes of screen time from him in Suicide Squad, maybe we'd be a little bit less harsh. Maybe we would make a little bit more sense. I still don't think he'd be on, you know, Ledger or Nicholson or uh, Phoenix territory at all. But I do think maybe his character would feel a little bit more fitting. So. I would be interested in seeing an ire cut overall though. If I had to just come down on one thing, I'd be like, look how much toxicity and hostility has resulted from us pushing for director's cuts. Like maybe let's just give everything like 10 years and then we can come back to anything we want of a director cut Yeah, where it's like less passionate and less in the moment heated. Now, where do you stand on the restore the Nidaverse? You, you know where I stand. I, just yeah, drop yeah, yeah. it. Listen, he, he fans wanted to see his completed trilogy. They got that. Like now I'm excited for what they have in the cards, which we'll talk about actually in, in a moment for their upcoming DCEU projects. I like the a lot of the directions they're going in. I like that they're doing the Batman and things that are a little bit more standalone. So I, I you know, we, now fans got what they wanted. Let me hit you with this. No Snyderverse, kill that dead. But what about if they announced that he was going to direct Wonder Woman 3? I don't think they would ever, 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 ever give a, a man not, Wonder Woman 3. Well, God damn it. That's not what I'm asking. I know, but would, that's just like crazy. Why is that crazy? Because they're, one, they're not going to remove Wonder Wonder Woman. And two, the backlash to putting a man Patty in Patty Jenkins. Charge, in. 
Yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, they're not going to um, remove Dude, Titanic. it's a hypothetical. I'm saying, would that movie interest you because of considering the fucking No, it, it would interest me less. See, I find the contrast of how the character was deployed in Wonder Woman 84 and the Snyder Cut, just as you said, her sort of power disparity, I find all that shit to be infuriating. Like, <laughs> they're two different characters. The way that she was... Wonder Woman 84 flirts with being the worst DCEU film. Yeah, I agree with that. Wonder Woman in the Snyder Cut was perhaps my favorite part of the movie. So that, all right, here's a word that I'm probably going to fuck up. Here we go again. Chasm? Chism? Chasm. (laughs) Fuck! (laughs) That chasm, that chasm raises questions to me. Listen, I, I understand where you're coming from. And as we discuss our Snyder Cut pod, the action, particularly Wonder Woman in Snyder Cut, is vastly better than anything we've ever seen and like we said the power scaling disparity it's a nitpick but it's certainly annoying but i think these are more physicality power centric complaints as opposed to character like again wonder woman 84 is a dog shit movie but i don't want to see uh snyder's nihilistic cynical point of view take over and filter wonder woman who is an inherently optimistic and kind of earnest to a degree character like he did with man of steel which is my biggest problem with man of steel so i I have no interest from a character standpoint of seeing his uh you know peccadillos applied to that character all right but let's stick with the dceu pierce brosnan cast as kent nelson aka dr fate in black adam uh eric some people have been divided on this i think it's fucking awesome i love pierce brosnan okay i don't know enough about Dr. Fate to really speak on how this is as a casting, but I can say the replies to our tweet were overwhelmingly positive. People were like, this is a casting home run. This is brilliant casting, inspired casting, awesome choice, blah, blah, blah. So based on that alone, I'd say great job. Yeah. And and so listen, I'm not super familiar, but I know him from like animated movies and TV shows. You know, Kent Nelson basically is given the, the helmet of fate, which turns him into like the ancient sorcerer, Dr. Fate, while his kind of physical body is like a vessel for that spirit. So there's a lot of cool, interesting kind of mystical things going on. It's, it's almost like Dr. Strange on steroids a little bit. Uh, and he joins Noah Centineo as Albert Rothstein, aka Adam Smasher, Aldous Hodge as Khufu. I, I'm definitely butchering that, which is also Carter Hall and Hawkman and uh, Quintessa Swindell as Maxine Uncle, aka Cyclone. So it's, it's the Justice Society of America, which in the DC kind of canon is the precursor to the Justice League. You know, they're like the 1940s-ish team, but it does sound as if this takes place in modern day, not, you know, a period piece. Yeah, I think this makes the film interesting. I think seeing Pierce Brosnan in this sort of role, like they are as The Rock, uh, put out in a tweet. I will read that for y'all. The Rock said, such a pleasure to announce the final member of our Justice Society, the badass statement, statesman Pierce Brosnan as the iconic all-knowing Dr. Fate. I'm grateful to have such a talented, diverse, hungry cast. That diverse part is very true. And that's what I find to be interesting about this. Every time we've gotten a superhero team up so far, It's been either like the elite of the elite or like the misfit patched up group. Seeing this sort of like collections, a collection of like Justice League level heroes, but like guardians of the galaxy level of fame. 
You know what I mean? Sort of yeah, like they're totally. in that in-between zone. And I think that's very cool, especially when you're considering, what's his name? All this uh, Hodge. Hodge Hawkman, who is a traditionally white character, I believe. Yeah, I believe so. But dope. Love it. He's Pierce, Bros- Pierce Brosnan, who I think this is his first comic book role. Yeah. Dope. Love it. The Rock, of course. So they've got a lot of interesting ingredients brewing here that can make for something genuinely cool. And very much like the MCU, where Doctor Strange, I think, is a bit underrated in how powerful and how much he can affect the world, so too is Doctor Fate. And I like that you kind of put together a quick uh, list of his powers. So for anyone who's somewhat unfamiliar, you know, his helmet of fate gives him the ability for astral projection, clairvoyance, invisibility, illusion casting, necromancy and resurrection, hypnosis, telepathy, and then as you wrote so eloquently, all sorts of energy field, blast shield fuckery. And it's true. And no, he he can really, you know, take you through dimensions and like kind of, uh, I think in the similar-ish vein as uh, Constantine, he's a different type of hero that isn't just, I'm going to punch you real hard. It's, it's a much more, I think, uh, you know, unique power set that offers a lot of great visual potential on the big screen. Now, do you think there's any possibility here of like, let's say the character is a huge hit, right? Of a Dr. Fate spinoff? Because based on his power set and like his sort of status as like an OG, you would think that there would be something that they would want to explore. You know, if you had asked me two years ago, I would have said they'll never make like a hundred million dollar blockbuster superhero comic book movie about a guy in a helmet. But now after Mandalorian that has completely changed that paradigm, fucking maybe, man. I don't know, but maybe. Good point. Great point. All right. Let's move on now. Uh, now, The Rock is a instant icon for both of us. Huge bro crush. But another bro crush of ours would have to be Keanu Reeves. And that is because, one, he's the fucking man. Two, he makes really cool things. And three, he's the fucking man. And just tied to both of those. I have know? a take. I have a take. I don't know if I've come up with the take, but I've seen it online and adopted it as one of my own. I, I can't wait to hear it because Keanu Reeves is now developing Berserker at Netflix, which is a live action. It's going to be a live action film. And there's a follow-up anime series based on Reeves' Berserker property. It's a brutally epic saga about an immortal warrior's 80,000-year fight through the ages. Reeves is going to produce and star in the film. He's also going to voice the anime. And as I said on Twitter, uh, I just think it's based on him because he is like an ageless wonder himself. And I would not be surprised if he was a warrior in a past life. And then when he reached like the 90s, he's like, all right, I'm going to be an actor this time around. So what I was going to say is my, my take is that I would I would argue that of our lifetime, is he the preeminent action star? If you consider Point Break, Speed, The Matrix, and John Wick, and then I'm sure that this will be a huge hit too. I mean, I still, still think you got to put like Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger in, in there, you know, Bruce Willis, who was a little bit, a little bit before our time in terms of his prime. Uh, Tom Cruise. Know. Okay, that's fair. That, there, but I, I mean, I think the case could be made with those. Yeah. Oh with, yeah, with, case with his made. four hits. A good right, case. Yeah, with those four hits right now, and then if he adds this fifth one to it, like there, I see no reason why this won't be a huge hit. So for the replacements, which is football action, like I, I love Keanu Reeves, and man. he's still dominating the like the action film genre despite the fact he's fifty six now. By the time this comes out. 
since he's got to do John Wick four and five, I'm sure he's not going to get to this until after that. He could damn near be pushing 60 when this drops. And just quick tangent, I interviewed Chad Stileski, who's the director of the John Wick franchise uh, and also a former stuntman. That's how he met uh, Keanu Reeves on The Matrix. Um, I asked him, you know, listen, I know choreography and film is not the same as fighting in real life. It's not the same. But do you think given all of Keanu's experience in action movies and the fact that we know he trains very hard, do you think he could handle himself like in a bar fight? And he said, dude, I swear to you, I'm not just trying to hype up my actor. He Great would question. beat the shit out of like 90% of everyday folks. He was like, you know, considering they're like similar height and build to him, you know, he's not going to beat up a 400 pound guy. But he said, yeah, absolutely. This dude could handle himself in a bar fight. I'm like, that's fucking cool. That's a fucking great question. I'm so glad he said that. I mean, of course, you, you know, if you learn how to fight, whether it be for a film or for real life, you, you learn how to fight. Fun fact about Chad Stileski that I learned a few weeks ago when it was the anniversary of V for Vendetta, when they're doing the flashback of how V got all fucked up and he like comes out of the flames and yells. I love that. That's him. That's Chad and they had to, and and he and and he really like fucking put himself in this like sort of anti or sort like fire retardant gel and actually walk through flames. That's amazing. And like yeah, crazy. Dude, that's a great fun fact. It just makes me like Chad Celeste even more and I already liked him. Yeah. All right, sticking with DCEU for a bit. Promising young water woman writer and director Emerald Fennell is going to write DC's Zatanna film. Emerald Fennell also a co-show. She also show ran season two of Killing Eve. She also plays uh, the I can't remember the characters. And Parker Bowles, the the woman Prince Charles is in love with in The Crown. Um, this this is great news, Eric. This is phenomenal news because she's one of the most exciting creative voices up and coming right now. And so for her to to get a massive DC project like this for a character that I find very interesting, who a little bit related to Dr. Fate in that magical realm. Really, really cool. This could be like a very deep, complex, moving type of comic book film with her, you know, putting the groundwork in. Have you seen Promising Young Woman? Yes, I have. And if yeah. I had a vote at the Oscars, it would be among my, my top three for best picture. Yeah, I'm sure. definitely going to need to check that out before then because you it should, looked yeah. great. I just dug its vibe. I it, it, It's become sort of divisive, which I love, yeah. which I'm sure means that I'll like it even more. So very, very polarizing, but it's kind of like this tragic black comedy with these very outrageous elements. And, uh, you know, I highly recommend everybody go watch it. All right, let's run through some quick hitters. All right, new flick, Beer Run, starring Zac Efron, Russell Crowe, and Bill Murray. Cool cast. It tells the story of Chick Donahue, where he leaves New York in 1967. This is a true story. To bring beer to his childhood buddies in the Army in Vietnam, uh, Donahue took a good idea to the extreme, hitching a ride on a merchant marine ship, then carrying the beer through the jungle as he tried to track down his three friends. Dressed in shorts and Hawaiian shirts, he was mistaken for CIA which made his effort a bit easier. And finally, when he completed his beer run, the Tet Offensive happened. What is that? I think it's like a influential moment in the war. Wow. So it goes <laughs> to show you, A, that sounds interesting. B, I need to study up on history. But it's uh, directed by Peter Farley, who, after spending the first 25 years of my life, directing fart joke films, one best picture for Green Book, and fuck it. Sounds cool. Great cast, great plot. These are the type of films that I wish we had more of. Yeah, this is kind of this weird esoteric story that I'm, I'm very excited to see more of. 
Uh, Jamie Foxx's long gestating Mike Tyson movie has now been turned into a miniseries. Anton Fuqua, who, like we were talking about before, directed Training Day, is going to direct the series. Yes, Southpaw. Uh, Martin Scorsese is going to be uh, an executive producer. No network or streamer is attached as of yet, but I will say it's a little weird, and I said this when it was going to be a movie too. Jamie Foxx is only three years younger than Mike Tyson, and he's going to be playing, you know, like Mike Tyson's prime career. Tyson has got those city miles on him, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah, well said. (laughs) Uh, Seth Rogen is going to play Steven Spielberg's favorite uncle in Spielberg's upcoming kind of semi-autobiographical film. Michelle Williams is playing his mother in the movie. It's loosely based on his childhood. When I saw this news at first, I wondered, like, well, shit, I feel bad for whoever other uncles are in Steven Spielberg's family. (laughs) (laughs) Yo, Uh, good for Seth, man. Yeah, he, that guy's the mayor. I think oh, everybody wishes only good things for Seth Rogen. Yeah, except, of course, you know, conservatives and whatnot. Yeah, and <laughs> Kim Jong-un. Uh, Steven Yen and Ali Wong will star co-star in a 10-episode Netflix series, Beef, from A24. It follows two people who let a road rage in- incident burrow into their minds and slowly consume their very every thought in action. Uh, love Stephen Yen, love Ali Wong. Sounds awesome. I'm in. Sound, A24 as well. Sounds yep. phenomenal. Total, couldn't be more in. Uh, like we were talking about before, John Wick 4 will begin filming this summer. It's no longer filming back-to-back with John Wick 5. But you know what? Keanu Reeves is immortal, so they got more than enough time. Uh, Hawkeye spinoff series about Echo is in the works at Disney+. Plus. Uh, she's traditionally a Daredevil supporting character. She's a Native American and one of the few Death Comic characters. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce this correctly, but Aliquas Cox, who will, who will make her debut in the as the character in Hawkeye, will star. Uh, you know, this gives it yet another connection because Florence Pugh, who's, who's going to debut in Black Widow, is also going to appear in Hawkeye. So Hawkeye's kind of becoming a little pivot And point. another young character. So, yeah, they're definitely doing Young Avengers. Let's be real. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, National Treasure Disney Plus series is in the works. Ten episodes written by the Wilberleys and to be directed by Mira Nair. Series explores the timely issues of identity, community, historical authorship, and patriotism told from the point of view of Jess Morales, a 20-year-old dreamer with her diverse group friend, who with her diverse group of friends sets off on the adventure of a lifetime to uncover her mysterious family history and recover lost treasure. Jess Morales is taking the torch from Benjamin Gates, the National Treasure film's protagonist played by Nicolas Cage, who will not be in this. Confession time, Eric. I don't, I don't really like the National Treasure movies. I think they're, I think they're, I mean, they were good kids films there. Yeah, I don't think they're like bad. It's just really not my cup of tea. And everyone always slams me on Twitter for saying it. And I'm like, you know what? Well, that's a, that's a ridiculous thing to get mad about. Of all the hills to die on, why? National, National Treasure. Treasure. Yeah, what the fuck? All it's right, Da Vinci people. Code for kids. Like, I, I you <laughs> know, Star Wars, I get, ish. But like, come on, guys. Da Vinci uh, Code for kids, that's good. Yeah. And then in the flash, we knew that Billy Crudup was stepping down from playing Barry Allen's dad because of scheduling conflicts. Ron Livingston of Office Space fame is going to replace him. Uh, and Michael Keaton has said he's non-committal, but he's he's in, man. He's he's just doing those things that actors does. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm glad to hear it because he sounded like, I don't know. I don't know if I have time. I mean, I mean, they're supposed to start filming next month. So, or in like a few weeks. So listen, I will perfectly and 100% honestly own if I'm wrong, but I would be shocked, shocked if he's not in it. Okay, cool. Good to hear. All right. That'll do it for the quick hitting news and trending topics. Now the most exciting part of this episode, let's be real. They come for Guy Pierce. They don't come for us. 
Uh, let's hear what he has to say about his eclectic career, his, his versatile roles, and his upcoming movies, Eric. Folks, do you want to win up to $10,000 writing about pop culture? So do we. That's why we've entered Vocals If This Then That Challenge, where you could win up to $10,000. That's seven stimmy checks for writing about the things you love, movies and TV. For example, we just submitted our If You Love Lost, Then Watch Dark. And honestly, we think we could win. And with a first place prize of $10,000, second place prize of $2,500, and third place prize of $1,000, who wouldn't want to win? All you have to do is head over to Vocal to sign up. The link to enter the contest is in the description of this podcast. So just go ahead and click that. Now you're going to need a premium Vocal Plus membership to sign up and enter the contest. But with the code POSTCRED50, that's POSTCRED50, you can become a Vocal Plus member for just $4.99 to enter to win. And if you win $10,000, that's a drop in the bucket. Now the contest closes on March 30th, so make sure to get those entries in. And please, don't take if you loved Batman and watch The Dark Knight, because that's my idea. Folks, I am absolutely thrilled today because we are joined by a truly wonderful guest. You know him from films like L.A. Confidential, Memento, The King's Speech, Lawless, Prometheus, Iron Man 3, and many more. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Emmy-winning actor Guy Pierce. How are you today, sir, except for the excellent quality of your room? Well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm excellent, Eric. Thank you for having me. Um, please, take in the room. <laughs> It's, Compared uh, to what I've got got going on here, it's a huge... Well, I don't know. You've got some cool art going on behind you there. Well, if you could see there, that is a poster for Blade Runner 1, who, which was directed by Ridley Scott, which we will certainly get into. Um, I want to start with your new film, The Seventh Day. comes out yeah. Friday, March 26th. You play Father Peter Costello. I personally am a huge wimp when it comes to horror <laughs> films of any type. And I think it's because when I was younger, my dad used to get a real kick out of showing me Poltergeist. Have you ever oh, seen wow. that one? Uh, of course. So Easy I am. Dead, all that stuff. Poltergeist. So yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm a huge wimp. Um, how do you personally handle horror films? And is there one that you think of as the scariest you've ever seen? Well, it's funny because it's not generally a genre that I'm sort of chasing, you know, uh, either at the cinema or in work. So it was unusual for me to do this film, to be honest. Um, but at the same time, I remember being hugely sort of affected by horror uh, films. I mean, I, I just threw at you Evil Dead then. And of course, you mentioned Poltergeist and you know, there there were films, particularly I guess back in the eighties, seventies uh, and eighties, that that frightened the hell out of all of us. Um, you're probably too young to remember most of them, but um, as a as a young boy, when they, those films were coming out, you know, even things like American Werewolf in London and and Death Ship, uh, films like that were were so effective. You know, the the idea of being able to scare somebody just because of a dark silence for three I seconds. I find the sound to be the scariest part. Well, that's right. So, the sound is a really big part of it as well. And there's sort of the anticipation yeah. where you've got darkness for sort of three or four seconds and then all of a sudden somebody's face appears. 
you know, the idea of being frightened. I'm so fascinated by why we as an audience want to be frightened. You know, I think we want to be frightened so that we can deal with being frightened, you know. Well, you, you bring up a great own... point because I think this genre is one that needs theaters back because a lot of the joy of this genre is getting the crap scared out of you with people. Well, yeah. I mean, the interesting thing was making this film and going, okay, so this is a really scary moment, which, of course, is never as scary when you're on set, right? you know, because you've got some grip or you've got a first AD or somebody going, yeah, okay, man, so we're going to be doing this and then this is going to come in and it's going to be really scary and then this is going to happen and that's really scary. Everybody ready to be scared? Okay, cool. You know, so, of course, you're never feeling the fear on set, but you watch the finished film and there's the music and there's the fast cut and there's the blood and there's the, you know. The first scene of this scared the crap out of me. Do you have any, I think what makes, I think what makes both this genre and your film very unique is that this is sort of exorcism training day. It's a very, uh, have you heard of that before? Have you thought that yeah. yet? Well, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I've, I've heard that. But to me, the interesting thing about this film is our director, you know, Justin, uh, who wrote the script and directed the film, he has a very particular style. He has a very particular, and it's something that I can't even really articulate. It's just the timing, you know, his timing, the way in which he sort of takes you into a scene and then sort of plays with you for a little while and then exposes you to something and then takes you out. He, he just has a, it's just his own flavour, you know. And I'd seen some of his other work um in the process and I talked to him about this and I got the sense of what what it was he was after and of course from my point of view you know I'm playing a character so as an actor I just need to find what is real for the character you know to to make it um authentic and to make him believable etc so I have to get away from the genre or the actual style of the film the the, the sort of the you know, the, 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 the ploy that is to frighten our audience. You know, as far as I'm concerned, as an actor, I'm just playing the truth of who this guy is, right? But, of course, so I'm doing that, and then, of course, I see the finished film and go, okay, right, that's in this world, and up here, you know, our audience members are seeing this, and they're going to be really, really frightened. And, of course, we're seeing kids with visual effects where they're, terrible sort of smiles, you know, like all sorts of really freaky stuff. I was watching like this. Would tell me, he would tell me what he was going to do and I'm there going, uh-huh, okay, yeah, that's going to be really freaky. If you can pull that off, that's going to be really freaky. And he's like, yeah, 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 we'll make that work. You know, it, it'll happen. Of course, I watch the finished film and go, yeah, there you go. It's happening. It's really now, scary. Now, as I prepared for this, you had said uh, to prepare for your role in Queen of the Desert that you had one night gone out in drag to sort of immerse yourself in that world. Now, while I doubt you went out to expel any demons to prepare for this role, do you have any sort of ghost stories or demon stories from your life that you sort of used as a point of reference for this? Well, I'm going to be really boring and say, no, I didn't. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Um, the The Priscilla reference came about uh, because when we were when we were rehearsing Priscilla, uh, the whole idea from our director's point of view was that on the last day of our two weeks of rehearsal where we had camera tests and we had makeup put on and all the costumes put on, 
he was like, okay, on that Friday when we're going to be filming you in all the costumes and all the makeup, we're then going to go out that night and take you to all the drag clubs and see what happens. So it was all sort of part of the whole process of rehearsing and costume fittings and makeup tests and camera tests, et cetera. So that's sort of how that came about. With this, um, there wasn't really that sort of process. You know, there wasn't really that kind of um, intricate uh, detail as far as, you know, us getting You didn't into put this. on the uh, white collar and go out and fight I, demons for this one? I thought maybe that might be too dangerous. <laughs> you know, there we were in Dallas. We filmed in Dallas. I know the film is set in New Orleans, uh, but we were in Dallas. And I thought, I don't, I don't know that I want to go out. Uh, in Texas at night with a collar on and (laughs) to see what spirits I can conjure. I might get myself into all kinds of trouble. Now, but this film is about saving the life of a young boy. You have a young son. Did you pull from your experiences as a father for this role at all? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, having my own child now and being really aware of how vulnerable he is, how sort of, precious he is I, I you know I look at any sort of script that I'm reading where there's parents and children and I can't help but be aware of how how just what you would feel as a parent at the idea of either losing your child through a horrific accident or some illness or of you know let alone a, a, a demonic a, a, possession <laughs> demonic possession right. thank you uh, so you know, I, I I couldn't imagine what it must be like. I mean, I you know, my little boy comes home with a scratch on his arm and I'm like, how did you get that? Like, how did that happen? Like, who, who did this to you? Like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And he's like, yeah, yeah, Papa, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. It's okay. So I understand the idea of being super protective of your kids. And I mean, I'm watching that scene in the film in the beginning when the oh, child is like good Lord. burning alive. Yeah, forget about it. Uh, yeah. So, um... This is another in the long list of Guy Pierce accents. What is, do you have a favorite that you've done throughout your career? Because I, I was, I, you know, I was going through films and most people, because you're like an English Australian, most people don't know that last part. Like you do so many voices that I feel like, you know, you could get lost in what Guy Pierce really sounds like. So do you have a voice that you like to do the most? Because this um, is what, like, a, I, I wouldn't call it a Southern drawl. It was almost like, it sounded a little Boston to me. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Well, the funny thing is we, you know, once the young guy who was cast as me younger was cast, I, we then thought, okay, well, maybe I better follow on from him. You know, maybe I better sort of, um, because we didn't want to force him to do some kind of accent. So I just thought, let him do what he wants to do. And then I'll kind of follow on from him. So it's it is more of a sort of an upper uh, East Coast, whether it's New York or whether it's Boston, but something that 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 has a sort of a toughness to it as well, which I think was kind of good for the role. Um, do I have a favorite? Not necessarily. I mean, I I do love doing silly accents for my son, and he he finds it quite funny if I just suddenly put on a silly voice, you know. So I'm sort of getting more more of a kick out of just putting on silly voices for my boy uh, than when I'm at work. But I have to be honest, 
if I don't have to do an accent and I get to just work in my own accent, it's so much easier. Yeah. I, you know, I can, I because then I can be sort of subtle. Whereas when I'm thinking about an accent, then that's all I'm thinking about. Whether I'm doing something from the South or whether it's from the Northeast or whether it's a West Coast accent or, you know, whether it's something sort of tough like Philadelphia or whatever. So it, it can get in the way a little bit, you know? I want to now take a look back through the career of Guy Pierce, which I think is phenomenally widespread. You, there is no one role that Guy Pierce can be stuck to. Uh, so I want to start with that note with LA Confidential, which is how a lot of us in the U.S. came to know you. This is your first major U.S. role. Well, that was my first American film. American film. There you go. What's your mindset going into a film where you're acutely aware, or at least I would think so, that you know how this turns out is going to shape the rest of your career? Does it well, impact your performance at all? Were you thinking about that? Not really. I mean, I, I you, you never think about the job as far as how it's then going to be perceived in the future. I don't. I just think about the job at the time. I think about the script. I think about the other actors. I just think about trying to do my role well, communicating with the director, understanding the story, making sure that I'm authentic, um, whether I'm playing an Australian or whether I'm playing an American or an English person. So you just go into every job like that, really, to be honest. And then in the end, you look at the finished film and you go, wow, that's a classic. Or you look <laughs> at the finished film and you go, wow, that's really boring and kind of, yeah, no one's going to see it. Okay. So... You know, you never really know how something's going to turn out and you never really know. I mean, we talk about LA Confidential now because it turned out to be such a fantastic film, but we didn't know that going into it. You know, we just went into it thinking, okay, here's a job. We've got roles to do. I and mean, it was exciting for me because it was my first American film, as I say, and I was getting to work with, you know, Kim Bassinger and Danny DeVito and Russell Crowe, of course and David Strathairn and, and, and James Cromwell, all these fantastic actors. Yeah, great cast. But, but, but you don't really think about the sort of final product per se, you know. So you're I've, more focused on the micro and what you could do, not the macro and how the film is going to turn out and all the stuff that you can't control. Yeah, with. No, you're that's you're just concerned with what Guy Pierce can do here. It, it, well, yeah. I mean, why would you be concerned with any of the other stuff? I mean, you, 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 you Well, go I just asked because, like you said, it was your first U.S. film. So I wonder in this instance, do you have a more 10,000 feet zoomed out point of view? Yeah. I mean, look, it was different because it was my first American film, but at the same time, you know, when you're on set and you're just talking with people and there's a camera pointing at you and you're just getting on with it and you've got dialogue to say and you, you're just trying to be authentic. Now, speaking you know, of uh, the cast that you got to work with on that film, did Crow seem like he was a man on the verge of winning Best Actor? And what was it like to work with him, especially considering the balance of he is so ferocious and animalistic and you're so calculated and cerebral? What what was that like, that on set? Oh, I mean... You know, I remember, I remember seeing Russell in an Australian film called Proof uh, many years ago and also seeing him in uh, The Crossing, you know, a couple of other Australian films and, of course, Romper Stomper. And I, Russell was, came and did a guest role on a TV show that I was in, like a soap that I was in back in the 80s, and I remember looking at him going, this guy is rockin this guy is a movie star this guy has what all of us want you know he just has all the 
chutzpah and the kind of the energy. Right. Yeah. He's incredible, you know? So you could tell. Yeah, I mean, you ha- who couldn't? You know, yeah, you're yeah. an idiot if you couldn't. <laughs> and so I read this script called LA Confidential. The only person cast at this point is Russell Crowe. I'm like, am I really going to get to work with Russell Crowe? Really? Like, for real? You know? I get cast in the film. Him and I are the first two people cast. I'm excited because I just get to work with him, let alone who then got cast afterwards. But Russell, I mean, he's a very good friend of mine. He's an absolute delight. He's, you know, he's a tough cookie. He makes you, he makes you. No kidding. He makes you be the best you can be. Yeah. If you're not the best you can be, he'll let you know. And he'll get you Uh, there. Uh, he'll get you there. He, he basically shines a big mirror in your face and says, are you ready to go there or not? Yeah. You know, now and you either go there or you don't. Right. Sink or swim. While filming Blade Runner 2049, Harrison Ford famously punched Ryan Gosling in the face. Gosh. Yeah, there's like a photo of Gosling just taking one. Did anything happen to you on set like that when you guys filmed your pretty intense dust up i don't think there was anything that sort of accidentally happened any more than normally would and maybe as australians we might you know we might sort of have a broader kind of threshold as far as you know pain Uh, i'm not sure he threw me around the room though you know he said to me i could tell tell, yeah he said to me i'm gonna throw you around the room you're right and i went yeah throw me around the room all right right, mate let's do it (laughs) throw me across the table you know so I don't, I mean, other people might have thought that perhaps it was too much, but, uh, you know, we're brought up in Australia on film sets to go, if you've got to be thrown against that wall over there, get ready for it. You know, Plus, and now happen. in like the days of CGI and wires, you can really now, tell. But not back in the 90s. No, I know. I'm saying you could really tell he's throwing you across that room. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, it and also I was, I was like 27. Now I'm 53. If he threw me across the room, firstly, he would do his back. And I would probably break my neck as I hit the one. Be like, cut, cut, take two weeks break, everyone. Um, guy's broken his neck. Russell's done his back. Uh, we'll, let's take a break. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Let me transition now to Memento. Do you remember your reaction the first time you had the plot explained to you? I don't remember anything. <laughs> Join the club. Okay. So it wasn't that hard for you to play the character then? <laughs> Look. The thing about that film, really, you know, I mean, I read that script. I mean, the great, the best, the best thing about that film for me, well, I shouldn't say this, but one of the best things about the early experience of that film is that my, when my agent sent me the letter, he wrote to me and he sent me the script, he said to me, just so you know, it all goes backwards. I went, okay, great, noted, thanks. So when I read the script, I was, I was sort of ready for it. You know, so uh, I understood that half of the story was going backwards as I was reading it. And I got a sense of what emotionally that character was going through. And it it is it's the only film that I've done really where the finished film is sort of exactly what the script was. It's also the only film that I've done where I probably could have started to film it the next apart from bleaching my hair. It was sort of the only film I have done where I probably could have started it the next day after reading it. Well, what because of that, required. because of how how what was such a complex 
structure on the page came through just as you had read it on film. Did you have any inkling of what kind of talent Nolan was and what he was on the verge of becoming? And what made you feel that way? Well, I, I'd seen his film. So I got the script. I read the scripts. I loved it because it was very intimate. I really got a sense of the character and what he was going through. And it was beautiful the way that it was presented on, on the page you know, in the way we see it in the film, half going forwards and half going backwards. I then watched Chris's film following, which immediately made me go, oh, my God, I really want to do this film. I really, really want to do this film. This is going to be fantastic. I really want to be part of this. I don't want Brad Pitt to do it. I don't want Keanu Reeves to do it. I don't want Johnny Depp to do it. I don't want anyone else to do it. I really want to do this. Oh, my God, I'm never going to get this film. And I said to Chris Nolan, I got to have a meeting with him, and I said to him, look, this is really embarrassing because this is not the sort of thing that I would normally say to anybody. And I get the sense that this is not the sort of stuff that you want to hear. But if it means anything at all, I'm just telling you that I really want to do this film. Like, this is awesome and I really want to do it. I keep hearing these stupid stories about actors kind of sleeping out on director's porches and going, oh, my God, I'm just the guy for you and I'm so committed. Oh, my God. You know, and director's going, oh, I knew he was the guy for me. He slept on my porch. Oh, my God. He was amazing. He was so committed. Yeah, yeah. That's a great Cali voice you got there. I mean, come on. You know, you go to the meeting because you want to do the film. End of story, right? But I I had to say to Chris, if it means anything at all, if if me being committed to this means anything at all, I'm just telling you now that I really want to do the film. And I was cheap. Well, you you must have known that it was going to be some sort of hit. Are you aware that both your name and the name of the film are in a Drake song? Did you know that? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean... How, like Guy Pearce from Memento? I mean, that... Come how on, awesome Drake, is that? brother. <laughs> I've never think- met Drake, but I, I owe him... Big time. And now one last thing on this. How does it feel that this film is no longer Nolan's most confusing? Because that's now been <laughs> taken by Tenet, which I just cannot wrap it's my his, head around. It's his cheapest most confusing. <laughs> I like That's a good answer. We'll leave it there. I want to move on to Prometheus, which I rewatched this week. Glorious movie. Absolutely glorious movie. Your character's goal is to understand what created us what the audience doesn't understand. Right. And that's why I think it's sort of why there's a lot of discourse around it because people were expecting Alien 4 and that is very much not what this was. What is it like crafting a character around a goal so profound? And do you think more titans of industry in our world should be thinking like this? Sorry, that's a big one. That's a heavy one. (laughs) How do I answer that question? Um, We could pass it if... uh, No. That's okay. Look, I think that taking on a role like Peter Wayland was a fairly big task, but the way in which Ridley presented him to me, you know, he said, look, you've got to forget about the myth, okay? He's just an old guy. He's a clever guy who's come up with a few clever ideas and we're now going to see him see them through in a way, right? We're going to go back. And we're going to get to see what Peter Whalen kind of experienced. So he presented it in such a way that I wasn't necessarily intimidated, um, even though I think our audience is somewhat intimidated when they watch the film. 
I don't see him as a bad guy, though. No, I don't. I don't think he's a bad guy. But then, why would we be scared of him if he's not? I just think it's because he's a he's a he's a sort of a big thinker. He's a sort of a businessman with a sort of a uh, a, a big scope of uh, ideas. He's sort of he's sort of Elon Musk, Ridley Scott. Um, he he, you know, he's kind of all those guys rolled into one, really sort of thinking outside the square in fact throwing the square away and off we go and i think that you know that's what ridley wanted to create was a guy who who could look outside of what the rest of us because the reality is we only use 10 percent of our brains right and as far as ridley's well as far as ridley's concerned this is ridiculous as most of us also agree with so I think Ridley was hoping to create a character that ultimately was filling up the other 90%. Got you. I love that film. I think that the fact that we there was a quick brief time where they would make $150 million R-rated horror sci-fi was just an excellent time to be alive. And I miss those times. And I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, yeah, please. By all means. Now, I couldn't let this slip without asking you about Iron Man 3. We are a big MCU podcast on this show. I like to think of acting in terms of sports. I don't know if actors do that, but what is it like trading scenes with somebody who Robert Downey was at this time at the top of their game, at the top of their world? Does it inspire you to raise your game at all? Show the world and show him what you've got? Well, absolutely. I mean, you've got not you've got no choice but to but to be as as good as you can be. And even though when we did our fight scenes together and I was wearing my Birkenstocks and, and, and Robert said to me, are you really going to be wearing your Birkenstocks during this fight scene? Because I've never done a fight scene with anyone in their Birkenstocks before. Even though he said that to me, I said, listen, brother, get with the program. Okay. This is what's happening. They're off camera. Look where the camera is. It's here. We're not going to see my Birkenstocks. It's fine. He 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 understood, and he uh, he came with me. He kept laughing occasionally because every time he saw a bit of Birkenstock at the in the bottom of frame or you know in his peripheral sort of vision, he had a little chuckle. But he was prepared to go with it, knowing that you did that because they weren't on screen. God knows what's going on here in this Zoom. There, there they are. All right, guy. Last one. They're here. not in the room. I'm sorry. They're not in the room. Thank you so much for your time. This is one that I sort of ask all of our guests. What's the difference between 25-year-old Guy Pierce's dream role and 50-year-old Guy Pierce's dream role? Have you gotten either one? And how have they changed? I don't know that there's a difference between the role that I would choose and 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 ultimately i'm not sure that there's a difference between how i would play the role but i i'm much more astute as far as being able to tell whether what i'm doing is working or not um 25 year old guy would sort of think 25 year old guy would be far more anxious and far more stressed about not talking to anybody anybody and making sure everybody left me alone while i was trying to figure out what i was doing 53-year-old guy would be able to at least be able to have a chat with the props guy and the first AD and the 
the script guy and the and the, and the and the you know the the, the catering team and the continuity girl, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then I could go on set and do what I could do. So I'd be far more relaxed about what I was capable of doing now than I was 28 years ago. Um, but ultimately, I'm always in search of that role that that sort of opens me up in a way that feels like I've never been opened up before. And, and that happens all the time, whether I'm doing a Christmas carol, whether I'm doing The Seventh Day, whether I'm doing Mayor of Easttown, whether I'm doing Without Remorse or Jack Irish. Every time I do something, I'm looking to be sort of opened up and, and challenged in a way that I've not before. So, you know, that hasn't changed really. It's just well, that I'm I think probably that better at doing it now. I think that definitely translates on screen because as I said, there is no one Guy Pierce role. I've seen you in 10,000 parts and I hope to see you in 10,000 more. Sir, it was an awesome honor. You are a joy to watch on screen. Thank you so much for your time today and good luck with all the films that you have coming out. Well, thank you, Eric. I appreciate it, brother. Cheers, guy. Take care.